Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving our kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. What to say about this episode with my really good friend, Nathan Oates. This guy has served as a mentor for me for the last four years, and I just finished editing this podcast, and during editing, I wrote down a full page of notes. It's like, dude, you were there for the interview. You asked all the questions, but this guy... It's just so good. I think that there's so many nuggets that you, as a dude, if you are married and have kids, will gain from this guy. Uh, it's so rich. I know you're going to enjoy it. Please comment if you're on iTunes, like it, review it, rate it. That helps spread the word. Please go to Rebel and Create Instagram and Facebook and like it, follow it, and please go check out the Kickstarter campaign that's running until December 4th. We have created a journal designed especially for dads. It is a three-month journal with daily questions to help you be engaged, in tune, and intentional as you master the craft of fatherhood. Get ready to get into an amazing conversation around fatherhood. You're going to wish that it didn't end. Here we are, another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes, and I'm really pumped on this episode. I'm sitting here in my good friend Nathan's office. What's up, Nathan? How you doing? I'm good. I am good now that we are here, (laughs) and I made it. Uh, Nathan and I have known each other for, I mean, probably known each other for eight to nine years, but... Mm -hmm. Um, Nathan served as a mentor to me the last four years. We meet almost once a month for a cup of coffee, talk about life and um, accountability. So super important dude to me. Uh, Look up to him a lot. So I'm excited about this conversation. Definitely. Um, For people to get to know you a little bit, how old are you? I'm 47. 47. And how many years have you been married? I've been married. It'll be 24 years in December. 24 years. Just significant. Dude, that's awesome. Because that means I've been married longer than I wasn't married. How old are you when you got married? 23. 23. So right at the cusp of that. Yeah. But you've been together. I'm a, you've been together now longer yeah, than you were. Longer. Yeah. Right. We dated for three years, uh, long distance. And then, yeah, then we got married in, in uh, 95. So Dang. that was a big deal. I remember, I remember I actually identified the day where it bumped from like, 49.9% of my life I was married to 50.1% of my life I was married. One, I mean, that's a big deal. It's like more than half your life you've been married. Yeah. So you, you can actually say I've mostly been a married man. Like this current state, which in some ways feels like only part of my life, it's it's literally been the majority of my life, right? It's crazy. Well, how about you guys? You guys are like 15, 15. years. Yeah. And you're 35, I'm 36. 36. Yeah. Yeah. So we're about at the, well, half my life. Yeah. Right. Right. And then there's people like somebody was in here a couple of days ago and they were married 53 years. And yeah, you know, it's just increasingly, you can't even, you can't even hardly remember when you weren't married. Right. 
Yeah, what's crazy is I yeah, I feel like 15 years feels like forever. Yeah. In in a good and bad way, I guess, you know, it feels like forever. 25 years like wow, you're almost there. That's I know. Amazing. Yeah, we're thinking about what we want to do in 2020 yeah. for our 25th anniversary. I don't know. It sounds like my parents. It sounds like I'm, I must be talking about somebody. You know, oh, yeah, not like an old guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not a young 47-year-old. That's right. Dude, that's awesome. And how many kids do you guys have? We have three. We have and a 19-year-old who's a freshman in college. There she is. There's her picture. And um, we have a 17-year-old son and a 10-year-old son. Yeah. And no more. <laughs> no more. And um, the, the 10-year-old said this morning, we're a family of six. Including the dog? Including the dog. Um, okay. It is kind of cool. We're sitting in your office, okay, mm-hmm. in behind us is this really cool old brick wall. Mm -hmm. And you said, when we sat down, we were talking about it, that when you were a kid, Mm -hmm. you would buy hay from this building. I would buy pig food and horse food in this building, which was a big feed store. And now it's uh, an office complex and restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, That's weird. Yeah. It's pretty rad. It's a really cool historic building. Yeah. Fun to be in here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're stoked to be in here. I dig it. All right. Okay, so what has been the best resource to you as a father? And that could be at any stage, okay. you know, little kid, mm-hmm. teenager. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I have the profoundly rare uh, benefit of uh, an advantage of having had a really good dad. Mm. And so I would say that there's a lot of just baked into me practices and priorities and skills that have been developed primarily through uh, just living with this guy and watching watching him parent me, which is, I mean, I realize that's really rare and uh, I don't take that for granted. I probably, I probably don't recognize as, I, as much as I should how amazing that was, but I realized because I've worked with so many men that that is actually a rare thing. It's not that he was perfect in any sense, but, um, or I, maybe in some senses he actually was, but. Um, so, but, no, go ahead. So I love the idea of legacy. Mm-hmm. It's been on my mind a lot. Yeah. And it's these things that we protect and pass down to those after us. Mm-hmm. What is something, the simplest thing you could think of mm-hmm. that your dad taught you as far as a practice? Mm. Um, man, there's so many. One is hard work. He's an incredibly hard worker. Like he just gets up and does it. Yeah. just takes care of it and um and the other another is he serves my mom well, what's a way that you saw him serve your mom growing up he would just he would come in and he would say how can i help like after work yeah, or what after work um i we spent a lot of time together on saturdays we grew up on a little farm our i mean in, in a lot of ways your family reminds me of our family uh, as the oldest of six kids and we had some property on Saturdays until sports in high school just became the, you know, more of a dominant thing. We would be home on Saturdays and it would just be, everybody would work hmm. in on, on the property. And my mom would make big breakfast and they would liter- literally be there to be lists next to our plates. No way. Would, yeah. This is, these are your chores for the day. Right. And it was this beautiful breakfast and we'd all have breakfast together. But then the understanding was then you're going to, Work Would your dad push you pretty hard? 
Uh, I don't remember being like driven by him, but because I loved working with him. Mm. But I do. I mean, we worked. We really worked. And and I'm I'm often surprised at at how some guys just don't have a work ethic. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, well, I just it, I just learned it. Like from the time I was nine, I I had a set of chores that I did at six a.m. every day. I think now I think, man, I was nine. I was out. Isn't it weird how we don't have that same kind of expectation? Yeah, as much. Uh, yeah, I mean, part of it is it's situational, and it's in, in the suburbs. It's harder to have an opportunity to. You know, there wasn't a, there isn't a critical need. We were doing, I was doing stuff with animals and, and if you don't let them out, they don't eat. If they don't give them water and I was terrible at it. I was always getting grounded for not doing a good job at the chores. But, um, so I wouldn't say he drove me, but there's definitely a level of expectation. I was the oldest. Yeah. So there's always more laid on the shoulders of the oldest. And yeah. So there was a consequence though for not doing it. Oh, so maybe he didn't drive you. Yeah. But if you didn't do it, there'd be a consequence. So right. it's kind of on you for doing it or not. Right. So I was bringing that up, which we might talk about more, but initially I brought that up because this is something that just stands out to me. We'd be building a fence or building a barn or pruning fruit trees or whatever. And he would always just say, he'd always defer to my mom for, how do you like this? Hmm. So in other words, I often have really strong opinions about how things should be done. And he probably did too, but I remember him deferring to my mom all the time. Like you plant the tree where mom wants it planted. You know, you, you put the fence where she wants it. So how has that impacted your life now? Well, it just, it, I feel like I grew up with this real deep respect for not just my mom, but for moms, mm. for wives. Like their opinion? Yes. Like you... You just, when they walk in the room, you just honor, there's something about their state, their, their, um, their role right. that just demands respect. And so initially that was just the way it is. You don't recognize your worldview until it conflicts with another person's mm. worldview. And initially I didn't even realize that that's the way I, I saw things. So there's no merit involved on my part here. There's no, like, I'm such a good guy because I recognize women when they walk in as someone to be respected. It's just what was modeled. It's right. just what was modeled. And I didn't re- recognize that it was unique in any way until I go over to a friend's house and he'd snap at his mom. Like she's like his little sister or something. Yeah. Like oh no, you don't, you don't do that. And then it, another point of recognition came later when I was doing more like working with families and ministry, um, working with young kids. And I found myself giving more respect to the moms. I don't think you can respect people too much, but expecting them to have more of a sense of ownership for the family, responsibility for the kids, a, a greater maturity than they actually did. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I would actually attribute traits of my own mom, which were strong to women just in general. And sometimes I realize I'm kind of giving them too much credit in this sense, not too much respect, but maybe too much credit for, um, I'm assuming that they are, um, as invested as other parents that I've right, seen, right. but they're really not. So I need to kind of scale Because no one's down. called them up to that. Maybe. whatever, nobody modeled that right. to them. Right. Man, I think it's so important because as fathers, as we listen to this and as we embrace this adventure of fatherhood, mm-hmm. we can shape the worldview of our children right. in how 
the roles of a man and woman, the roles of a husband and mm-hmm. wife, the roles of parents. Mm-hmm. You know, those first 10 years really are so critical mm-hmm. for you to shape these kids' worldview and not let, and I'm not like, you know, get rid of your TV, get rid of every, you know, that's kind of the easy way out. I think you can still model those things while those other things are around, but you have to be the higher influence than those other things. Right. Right. And I think it can be really specific. Like I remember I can literally hear my dad saying, this is what your mother would like us to do. Hmm. Um, and that's real specific. It was about that specific woman. I have a friend who says, and I love this phrase. He said, this is what, this is what men do. Um, when he's talking to students mm. or when he's talking to his own kids this is what men do. So he broadens that. It's not in my growing up. It was just honor this woman, this, your mother, this specific woman. That's what I remember being yep. so primary. And then this friend of mine, um, he was shooting bows and arrows with a kid he's mentoring. And one of the arrows went over the fence into the neighbor's yard. And the kid was like, Oh dude, we're not going over there. And, and he's like, no, that's not what men do. Men go over there mm. and knock on the door. And I thought that's brilliant because now you're expanding it. So it's not just that one woman who you already love yep. your mother, yep. but you're expanding this to, this is, this is what men do. Men honor women. <laughs> what right? if we just took that one thing and just pumped that one thing out and we could teach that to every boy, mm-hmm. yeah. the world would look so oh. different 10 years from now. For sure. And there's so many varying perspectives on that question. What do, what do men do? Well, who's so, defining that? Well, all kinds of people are. And most of them have, you know, nefarious motivations. Like they want, but they, I think, they have a, a, you know, some sort of financial gain. Or yeah. Whatever, but or I think if you. Security they're trying to. Right. Bully. But I think if you were to just go in every home, like let's take a hundred men mm-hmm. in our area, they would if they could pause and look at, okay, who do I want to be at 85 years old? What do I want to have done with my life? Okay, well, this is what men do. Yep. It's just, then do you practically do that and not just be like, you know, the business who sits in a room for two days and comes up with their values and their mission. Mm -hmm. And then like, they forget about it and just keep doing what they've always been doing. Right. And it's possible. It just has to be intentional. It does. And I think all guys could do this. Oh, Um, for sure. Because you can't, Kids are looking for the for direction from their dads like nobody else. And they don't know how to define adulthood unless we define it for them. So mm. in other words, a, a boy doesn't know what a man is unless a man defines manhood for the boy. So you've got to define it for them. And, yeah. and we've, I think some parts of our culture feel like, I'm just going to let them make their own choices. It's ridiculous. We've got to, we can give them options, but without modeling the options, it's... We're attributing abilities to them that they don't have. You know, this idea that, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to model any kind of faith or teach my kids any kind of religion because I'm just going to let them choose. Well, they're choosing between nothing and nothing because right. you've given them nothing. Right. So give them something. I understand the uh, the thinking behind at some point, clearly they're going to need to make their own choice and you're right. going to need to respect that. But it's selling out. It's a, it's mm. a cop out to say... I'm not going to give them any standards in some sort of sophisticated uh, muse of giving them these wide open progressive options. No, give them something to choose from, right? Model something yeah, for them. Yeah, and teach them how to ask the questions around it. Because even if you just accept, we've always been this religion, that's mm-hmm. just what our family is. Right. Well, that's not a really good answer either. No. Like teach them how to ask the questions around it. If mm-hmm. you are that confident that what you're doing is a way that is 
right for your family, then be able to define it without just because this says so. Like, no, let's ask the questions and let's look at let's look at the alternatives and ask the same questions. Because then your kid can leave your house being confident in who they are mm-hmm. and who you are and that they can go look at something and, and ask questions and yeah. be open. Right. Oh, man. Okay. Right. So another step on that, there's the honor your mom because she's your mom, mm-hmm. the specific woman. Then there's the... There's the, this is what men do. And and then I also think there's a, then you can personalize it again. It's kind of like you begin with your mother, potentially you expand it to like the broader picture of manhood. And then I think you bring it back to the individual, potentially mm. the kid, um, because it really is about building his identity up in this case, the son's identity and, and giving him an opportunity to choose who he's going to be. And so then you can come back and say, Oates men do this yes and so when you're in a room and something goes off and nobody moves because they don't take responsibility for the problem and you think well nobody else is moving it's completely irrelevant it's completely irrelevant that nobody else is moving because oats men move we take responsibility for it and you got to be careful that you don't become like overly rambo about that and like we're the amazing family and that's not at all what i mean but i mean gently with encouragement and affirmation, though this is actually who you are. You're Ned Shout. This is what Ned Shout does, right? And I've seen in my boys as they've grown up this um, this remarkable confidence begin to build despite the fact others aren't responding to whatever the situation is in a similar way, but they are, why are they doing it? Because this is who they are. And it's it's been fed into them. It's been spoken mm-hmm. into them. You're, you're good at this. You know how to do this. This is who you are. This is who we are. This is how we show up in the world. So you can count on that. When we step in the room, there will be this presence in the room, yes. right? Yes. And I just feel like that can, uh, guys need that. We want that. We want that. You're you're going to show up in the room as somebody, whoever your mentor or your hero is, you're going to try to emulate them. So say you're a dad right now mm-hmm. who you're like, dude, nothing was modeled for me. I'm just floating. Mm-hmm. Like I go to work, come home, like I throw ball with the kid or right. coach, whatever. What are like a couple practical things you could do mm-hmm. to start modeling now and start building that legacy? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I think... Almost everybody, it would be, I'm sure there's a a tragic exception, but almost everybody sees somebody that they respect Hmm. and admires, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know them personally, it's an author, it's a character in a book. They don't even have to be real, right? But I think one way is you could start by identifying who you admire. Most guys know somebody in real life that they admire, and I would I'd go to school, right? Mm. I'd take him to lunch and I'd say, I, and it doesn't have to be holistic admiration. It can be like, okay, the guy's business is a disaster. Um, you know, his kids don't, they're not around anymore, but he treats his wife really into really well. I want to so go to school on that. In other words, it doesn't have to yeah, be like, like a guy that. who's just amazing at everything. <clears throat> Cause the, he, that guy probably doesn't really exist. I mean, probably not. I mean, everyone's got areas of strength, <clears throat> yeah, right? Nobody's sure. coming to me to learn how to be better organized. So, um, cause it's just not a strength of mine. So, but so I would go to school and I would just, so I would identify the person you admire. I'd, I'd take him out to lunch and I'd say, 
share with me, kind of walk me around what I'm seeing, help me see it better. And then I try to identify some practices and I just start practicing it. And, and I think the combination of like who you admire and what you want to be can ultimately be articulated in a series of practices and you just have to be real intentional about it. Right. In other words, an example could be, all right, I admire that guy because his son respects him. Mm. I want my son to respect me. You take him to lunch, you realize, well, he respects me in part because I was a part of his life, right? I was a coach. I, was, I spent a bunch of time with him. Well, you just break that down. You like reverse engineer it. And you're like, in order for me to get from point A to point C, I need to schedule time with my kid or yep. whatever. You know, it's not rocket science, but I do but think you start with the end. It's possible. You start with the end in mind, what you admire. Um who you want to become. Yeah. And then you, you build toward that. Dude, I love it. Okay. So there is, a, I, I mean, we could just keep going, but I do have a specific okay. two questions I want to ask. So I hate to stop talking about that, but hmm. that's really good. But let's, so let's ask you a specific thing. Like I okay. see something that you've done and I'm coming to you asking you. So this is legitimate. You just teed up what we're doing right okay. now. Okay. Before we do that, Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, love it. Rebel and Create rebel against the status quo and create the life that you desire. What is something that you're rebelling against and hoping to create? And then we'll jump into my question. Okay, good. These are such good words. I love these words. The first time I heard them, I thought, oh man, I don't know if you just came up with these things or if you heard them somewhere. I don't know. I love them. Both words are perfect in the sense that they are packed with significance here. It's not just what's bad and what's good or what don't you like and what do you like? Because this word rebel assumes that there is a cultural expectation and you are, because a rebel is not doing what the culture expects him to do or the power structure or the authority or whatever. So this word rebel is more than just what don't you like. It's what does everybody else expect you to do or what does the culture expect you to do or the industry expect you to do? And you're like, I'm not doing it like that, right? So I love that word. Yeah, I love it so good. I love that word. <laughs> it's, I mean, typically, well, <clears throat> maybe not typically, but in, in my space and in, in theology and in Christian spirituality, rebellion is not a good thing um, in one sense, right? And yet you can make a really strong argument that Jesus rebels. He rebels against religious expectation, cultural expectation, Mm -hmm. certain power structures. So love that. I know I'm not answering your question yet. And then the (laughs) idea of creation is, is, uh, is powerful. So, um, because it's more than just I'm cheering for that, but no, I am generating something. You're bringing it. You are. Yeah. This is your contribution. Mm. There's like this, I mean, there's like this, this seminal component to it. Like we're like, I am, I am bringing something into existence that didn't exist before, or at least didn't exist in this way, or didn't exist for my family. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe other families had this, but I'm going to bring, I'm going to end this cycle. I'm going to create a new yes. cycle, right? A mm-hmm. new pattern. Yeah. Now we will be the family who, you know, doesn't. You're getting me fired quit. up, man. Dude. It's like, let's go to war against Take it. all these expectations. So, I mean, this is a challenging question, I think, for guys. At least it is for me. And, I'm one, and one of the reasons it's challenging for me is because what I'm rebelling against, I'm partially rebelling against it in myself. So I can't say that I got this figured out and I'm, I'm like knocking down everybody else because I 
most of the time what I'm rebelling against, I'm rebelling against it in myself, right? And That's what I think is the most beautiful piece about it is because rebel is going to war. Right. Again and again mm-hmm. and again. Mm-hmm. And it's not always about, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. And then I just move on for the rest of my life. I think sometimes we want that quick fix. And That's life is journey, man. It's yeah. like I want to be talk better to my wife today than I did 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you right. know, it, but I probably hope that in 10 years I talk to her better than I do today. Right. And that's only going to happen through the cumulative effect of day after day after day of rebelling against your selfishness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's, that's what I, that's what I would identify. I'm rebelling against, I'm rebelling against, um, a perspective a notion that is on fire in our culture, which is that you are the most important, most important person. It's about you and you should do what makes you happy because yeah. that's what life's really about. It disgusts me. It disgusts me when it raises its head in me. Mm. It shows up as consumerism. It shows up as um, uh, an, an apathy toward anything significantly meaningful because, uh I don't really need it, right? Oh, I hate it. It shows up as mediocrity, um, but ultimately it's self-centeredness and it's a self-preservation. You're not going to risk because that might make you look bad, right? You're not going to uh, put yourself out there because you're more comfortable if you don't. So, I'm so what do to- you hope to create out of that? So, um, you know, maybe it's clear, but oh, I don't know. You're rebelling against yourself. Mm-hmm against that just feeling of I'm so awesome. Yeah, and I'm re- and I'm trying to acknowledge that that is in my in myself. That exists in myself, but most of my work is focused on rebelling against that within the space of the local church. Mm-hmm. I think Christianity in our culture has adopted this notion almost wholesale. It's like this is what we expect to receive even in our Christianity which is by definition, others focused, right? And yet we, we even treat the church as it's for me, right? Yeah. Do I like it? Is it meeting my needs? It's killing the church, right? Um, so uh, what I'm trying to create, I would say if I was just really explicit about it and specific, I'm actually not trying to create something as much as recreate or restore what I believe has been lost or forgotten which is uh, I'm trying to return things to their intended purpose. I'm trying to become the person I was created to be. I'm in love with the local church. I'm trying to work in the local church to bring that back to what it was created to be um, based on how I understand scripture and the history of the church, right? I don't mean to say that I get it and I know how it's all supposed to work out. But what gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea that I could actually address brokenness and and return it or point it back towards its intended purpose. So just to bring it one question before we jump into something else, break that down for me in your home. Okay. So we've talked about the church. What about family? That's a great question. Um, So, and and I I ask this because I have this sense that I believe that the church is, is supposed to be a community, mm -hmm. right? But I feel like at the church should be made up of families. Okay? Right. It's the domestic church. The family is the domestic church. Right. So church. at the core, right, mm-hmm. you have yourself, 
which we're trying to rebel against. Then you have you and your wife, which is really the, the first kind of community. Right. And then you have these people who you had out of your love. Right. And then hopefully you're part of a village or a mm-hmm. community, whether that's a church or something else right. where you're doing life together and mm-hmm. it's not all about just your family either. Right. But if we talk about just your family, what is it that you hope to create inside your family unit that's around what you're talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> it's a good question. It's a it's a little bit of a faulty question in the sense that if you, you can't you can't just draw a circle around your five or your seven, right? Yeah. Your five kids and your wife, Sarah and you. That in and of itself reveals that it has become all about me. So part of it is raising a family that baked into the essence and the DNA of the family is this recognition that we are here for others. So that's the answer. Okay. Right? That's because part of it. you're rebelling against it. It's just the shouts or it's just the oats. Right. Hey guys, we got to do this because this is right for us. Right. Right. So that's exactly what you just said for your church analogy. Yeah. You said for your family as well. It's not just about us. It's not, I can't put a circle around us. And that's right. what you're teaching your family. Right. Which isn't to say that you, um, you never go on vacation together or you don't protect like family dinner time or you never, you know, you're always answering the phone or whatever. You're always letting somebody live with you. Um, but it is to say that um, I think we need to, I think there's two things that can happen in a family in this regard. One is complete disintegration where everybody's going a different direction all the time, which is what we fight against in my family at this stage with, with older kids with driver's licenses. There's disintegration. So one of the ways that we can restore the family is to make sure that we are spending some good time together and that we're coming together, making decisions together still. On the other side of that spectrum is this idea that, um, or this uh, tendency to extract the family from real life all of the time, you know, hit the cabin every weekend Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. just um, not be committed to another family or to a community on a level that is actually sacrificial. There are families that will not waver with their, um, with what's good for their family for any, for anyone or any reason. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's no, like, I know. I think it's a lot easier to just, we want things to be black and white. It's easier for us to go through life. If mm-hmm. it's like, we always do it this way. Mm-hmm. We don't have any open, you know, the, the two options you're talking about, I think living in the balance of the two and being aware of it. Yeah, you can err on both both sides. But what you know, what frustrates me when I think I mean I am so pro family. I I think I had a great family growing up. It's a huge part of my life. Um, so I don't want to send the wrong message here. But sometimes I just can't even believe it when when there's a clear need. You have a clear resource you've articulated a desire to make a difference in the world. You're given an opportunity, but it just doesn't work for your family. Right. It, it never works for your family. The, unless your family is, this is the work your family does, hmm. right? There's, and, and I recognize that there's gotta be time. You can't say yes all the time. But part of the way, I'm, you asked how am I doing this restorative work within the family? There are ways I'm doing it within the family, but I, I've kind of jumped on this idea that the view of the family in and of itself needs to open up in terms of like, what's the mission of this family? Is it just to preserve the family or is it to uh, engage the brokenness of this world with restoration? Yeah. I mean, I think that there isn't necessarily an answer, do it this way. 
it has to be I'm aware of it. We talk about it. Mm-hmm. We pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. I can sense when our family needs just a day with just us. Oh, yeah. Right. I can sense when we're being selfish and you know what? Let's let's are we serving? Are we saying no to everybody who we know we could invite over for dinner, for mm-hmm. example, who is hurting? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just that being aware of it and mm-hmm. intentional, like pausing to reflect and being in tune with your family. So it's it's incredible. Really, really good. Okay, so you talked about how if you see something in another man, you can go and you you go to school, you go yeah, learn, right? Yeah, right. And so clearly we're at different stages of mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. And I came to you, we kind of been talking about this um, maybe six, uh, six, seven, eight months now. And I, I had come to you and said, hey, I'm noticing that my wife is in a transition. Mm-hmm. Our kids are seven to 13 now. They were six to 12 when I brought this up. My six-year-old's starting school, mm-hmm. like not just half-day school, right? She's mm-hmm. going to full-day school. So I noticed that I wanted to go to my wife and say, hey, you've served us amazing mm-hmm. the last 12 years, mm-hmm. you know, just raising these kids. Mm-hmm. And I want to acknowledge that you are in a different season Mm-hmm. And love you through a transition of not what now, but I guess what now. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I brought it up to you and you had talked about loving your wife through season of, mm-hmm. you know, let's acknowledge our kids don't need to be breastfed and change diapers every day. Yeah. They're not at home. Now they're yeah. at school. So how do we help help you transition in that? So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Okay. Because because I I think as men as husbands fathers mm-hmm. you know this is fatherhood but that also incorporates marriage being in tune with our kids mom right to be in tune with her to go you're important I'm paying attention to your life mm-hmm. I want to honor you mm-hmm. and and also allow you to be yourself right yeah well. That's a great question. And I'm in the middle of it right now. So I'm not sure I've got great brilliance on it or wisdom. I think that it's helping me to recognize that my wife's not a fixed um, uh, quantity or I don't know how to say that. that She's a person. She's going to continue to change. You expect your kids to change. Mm -hmm. You celebrate your kids changing all the time, growing, right? Um, Because there's these distinct, like you graduated kindergarten. Right. You graduated fifth grade. Right. Now you're playing sports and now you're good at sports and now um, you've got to get your driver's license or whatever. I mean, it would be nobody expects their son to just be the same forever. But there's something in me. I kind of slipped into this. I love this woman. I really don't want her to change. Maybe that's part of it. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, everyone's got things that they don't love about people, but for the most part, I'm thinking like, I don't want this person to change. Um, but that's, uh, it's not really a fair expectation or even realistic, right? Because we're all growing. We're all going to change. This is why marriage is so insanely reckless because you're promising to love somebody, not just today, but you're promising to love them in the future. And you don't even know who they're going to be in the future. So you're promising to love someone that you actually kind of haven't even met yet. Hmm. Um, and, and I like so there's that, this, that you haven't even met yet. Yeah, it's this reckless promise. Like mm. I will be here and we stay. We say some really crazy things like in sickness and in health. 
I mean, that's, that's no joke. Um, and nobody actually thinks about that when she's looking gorgeous and she's in a dress, you know, it's her wedding or whatever. But I don't think you have the capacity to, but pain changes people and you're going to experience pain. So that was helpful to me, uh, was recognizing that, um, this wasn't just some sort of silly, trendy, uh, I think I just changed my mind and now I want to be a brunette or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the pain changed us, right? Pain of loss changed us. And that needed to be recognized and there needed to be room for that. Um, and so it sounds like you're saying a specific. Yeah. I mean, that we, we had a couple of specific experiences of loss. Um, so. So seasons. Yep. So, so thanks. So there's these. there's these seasons that are all consuming. Like you said, when they're mothers of young kids and it's like, this is what you do. You're just changing diapers and feeding people. And we got to a place, I guess maybe you want me to share a little bit about this, but we got to this place where uh, I had a break from, from my work. I had a sabbatical for a summer and I spent some time at this lake by yourself or with your family? My family was there, but I was getting up super early and writing in, okay. in the mornings. And I and I kind of went back and I scoped out our life since we met. Um, and I recognized that the major transitions in our life, there had only been really a couple, um, like from grad school to our first job, and then from our first job as youth pastors to our current role as pastors of the yeah. new church that we started. Um, those were, I drove those. That was just the reality. So how, okay, this is dope. So how long (laughs) had you been married when you sat down and you kind of did this timeline? Uh, 15 years. So you'd been married 15 years and you look back and you go, there's two major changes, right? We've had kids, we've done the stuff, but two major changes. And I drove those. Now, are you saying you drove those like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Come along for the ride. I just, so I meant, I mean that it, I think the first change was she had this fantastic opportunity to continue in school. She got this, she got this, I can't even believe it at this point in my life that we didn't say yes to this, but she got an offer to get a PhD paid for and then a job at a college because uh, she was the best student in our grad school. And, uh, that, and, and she wasn't super excited about it. And I, on the other hand, was like fiercely ready to go work with kids. And so my passion took first place over this opportunity for her, which was an amazing opportunity, like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I recognized that and I was like, man, I didn't even, I barely considered not doing what I wanted Hmm. in 98. And then fast forward 2004, I feel like we should go start a church, right? And both times she, it, it's, it's not at all about this is my role. It just was, I'm the, I'm the guy with vision and passion. So I'm just leading from that perspective and I'm operating from that perspective. And she's been this massively support. So I'm sitting there at this lake and I'm like, wow. Um, I wonder what it would look like if the next move was about her. I mean, is this 
101 for a lot of guys, but it was sort of this revelation to me. Um, I don't think it's 101. Oh, man. <laughs> it should be. It should be. But so um, an area of deep pain for her had to do with birth. And yet she had this really um, growing, this growing interest in supporting women in birth. And so uh, thank God I had this break and this break from work, this three month break. So I had time to lean into this, this whisper of wisdom, like learn about her now. Right. So I so started reading these do? books. I started reading these books about, about birth. But and what did you do? So like you find out you, you kind of have this reflection and then what do you go say to her? Mm, I think I said, Hey, um, it wasn't so much that I, uh, you said something a minute ago that I wanted to kind of push back on. Some, I don't think I was like, hey, I recognize that it was more shared. It was more like she was saying, you think I should go back to school? You so think she I should get noticed, a job? Yeah, both of us were kind of like. She's wow. in a transition. Yeah, we've been running a thousand miles an hour starting this church for seven years. And now it was the end of seven years. It was a break. We knew we were, we were like 99% sure we were sticking with the church, right? But we were taking a break and we were trying to reevaluate all kinds of things. And how old was your things. youngest at this? So this um, is, this is 10, nine. So the youngest is like not even two. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we're, so this, the transition is almost like, Hey, we're not having kids anymore. We're, yeah. We're, we're pretty center, certain we're not having kids anymore. Um, our older kids are older, like, like nine and, and 11. Um, which now seems young, but yeah, th- there was a recognition that, Hey, we're kind of moving into a new phase here. And, and you paused together and talked about it. Yeah, we did pause together and talked about it. Yeah. You're trying to get to some practical. Sorry. Um, we paused together. We talked about it. We thankfully had the space to do that. If we didn't, the wise thing would have been to recognize how important this is. This isn't just, do you want to take a day to the beach? This is like, do you want to put a concerted effort towards a next level kind of career? like a next season of your life. So the point I'm trying to make is that we, we dedicated some serious time and I dedicated the kind of time that matters to me versus that it's easy. like, if it was for your thing, right? If it was for my thing, I'd be studying it like crazy. So you went and studied her thing. I went and studied her thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I learned about birth Yeah, because she wanted to go become a doula. She was considering, yeah, being a, a birth worker. Like a, a she, that's what she is. She's a, a donor certified birth doula um you know she probably attends three to four births a month wow um and so yeah so i you know i'm reading like look at this Ina gaskin's spiritual midwifery i mean that this is a this is a commune in tennessee um that that started as like check this out i'm showing pictures of hippies giving birth (laughs) in in bathtubs together um and and so i'm and i'm trying to read i'm reading about like why is this important to have any kind of um, emotional attendance or, or support in a birth. So I'm reading about the industry of birth in what? the United States. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm trying to like get into it so that I can, here's the, this is important. Okay. I'm trying to learn about it so that I can intelligently talk to her about what she's considering. So it's not, because most of the time I'm like, hey, if you want to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. That's a cop out. We hide behind that as, hey, I'm just, I'm, not always a cop out. Often it's like, I don't have a strong opinion. I want you to be fulfilled. So you go ahead and pursue that thing. But 
a better, but that's not, I have found, that's not actually what she wants is just the green light as if she needs it from me. She, she would actually prefer me to engage at a level of passion and intensity and knowledge that I bring to my personal spirituality, the vision of our church, those kinds of things that I've clearly poured all my energy into. So I even started writing about it. I even started, I have like a whole thing I wrote about spiritual midwifery to try to get into like why this matters so that I can actually believe in what she's doing, which is probably what was, what made it so easy for me to not take that PhD offer seriously because I didn't really believe in that. So I wanted to get to a place where, um, where we could have good conversations and I could actually help sustain the next season, not just give permission to it. Mm. I don't mean to say that's the way we operate because it's it's not, but I'm trying to like, what's the difference? What's the opposite of sustaining something? Just kind of checking it off the the list or opening the door so she can walk through it. I'd like to encourage guys to play a deeper role in their spouse's next season, whether that's I'm going to go get physically healthy or I'm going to start a new career or I'm going to go back to school or I'm going to start working on this part of my life. Um, She has provided a lot of support for me. She's been a sounding board. She's educated on the same things I'm educated on. And um, so she's been a great resource for me to talk to about philosophy of ministry. I want to be that for her. Right. I feel like there was... I'm just going to kind of pause for a second. I feel like there was a time you told me that you kind of went and said something about changing seasons. Maybe it's this story. It's this story. I didn't realize. Here's another dynamic is I didn't realize this. The clarity about what happened has been in retrospect. I didn't realize how significant my investment in her idea was to her until I actually heard her on a podcast and they're like, how did you become a doula? And she puts the whole story within the context of the support she received from her husband. Mm. And I was like, I didn't even realize how significant that was. Especially to her. To her. Right. Which is the whole point of yeah. why it happened. You realized, right. man, did I mess up before? Mm-hmm. Or or I, at least I feel like I've kind of been driving this. Yeah. And now I want to be intentional with her. Right. Yeah, I don't regret the decisions we've made. I see where we've come and the benefit of of, of being here. But um, as I've gotten older, I guess I've just recognized that I often, um, in our relationship, have been the one that's kind of pushed harder. And it's been... Uh, so it was really encouraging to me. And it frankly kind of made me... I remember exactly where I was in the gym when I was listening to this podcast. Mm. And she said to this to this person um, that she she had the courage because it's a I think starting anything new takes a lot of courage Mm -hmm. and so she placed the source of her courage on me on on my support for her and I was just like man I didn't even I didn't even realize how big of a deal it would be for me to come alongside and yeah, you know, kind of I, be so, a part of her world there. Man, I think that this is really rich stuff to, I mean, one, to pause and look back on your life and to kind of mm-hmm. acknowledge your family timeline. Mm-hmm. Don't make it just about you. Bring your spouse into mm-hmm. that conversation. Um, I think that 
as I'm listening, you know, I, I think sometimes you have the guy who's just so driven, it's all about him. Mm-hmm. Then you sometimes have the guy who has no spine at all mm-hmm. and he just does whatever his wife wants and yep. says all the time. And he's not contributing anything because he's just like, well, whatever you want. You're right. You know, so it's like finding that that middle ground to like both be your own person, mm-hmm. right? You you both have your own stuff that you bring to the world, yeah, right. and then you're also one, mm-hmm. right? And your kids are watching all of this, right? So it's like being in tune with both, you know, to have your passions, but to be aware of hers, be in tune with hers. So if I dive into the okay, I understand that one, I have seasons of life, right? But I want to be in tune with my spouse has seasons of life. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, you have a personality and tendencies and gifts, and there's always a shadow side. So you might be the most supportive, accommodating, I'll just go along and do whatever you want kind of a guy, which she's probably told you for years. She loves how accommodating you are. But the shadow side of that is you ever going to lead anything? You know, mm-hmm. are you ever going to cast some vision? That wasn't my shadow side. Okay. Mm-hmm. My shadow side was I'm always, I always have an idea. I always have a vision. And my shadow side is, is, uh, forgetting there's other people in my family that, that, uh, probably want to do something other than just support what I'm doing. Okay. So then say you go to your kids mm-hmm. or your spouse and you're like, Hey, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know. We just been following your passion for, the, yeah. for all right. this time. Yeah. Sometimes I think that can be crippling too. Mm-hmm. And then if a dude's listening to this right now and he goes home and he's like, hey, you know what? Our, our kids are a little older now. What do you want to do? And she's like, oh, I, I don't know. You never asked me this before. Yeah. And then it turns into this weird fight almost. And yeah. then you feel like a jerk because you're like, I wish I never even asked you this yeah. question. So how do you navigate that? What are some suggestions? We got the train coming. The train's coming. Here comes the art show. Go. Ready? There it goes. Nice. So it's good. It's a good question. And maybe not that I'm expecting you to have the answer. I got a couple thoughts. Okay, perfect. Um, I think it's critical to pay attention to what makes your kids angry, what makes them emotional, um, and and have good conversations about what's going on inside you right now. Why do you feel that way? Um, why does that make you angry? Because that'll start to reveal what they're what they're actually passionate about. It's not like they have to become passionate about something. They just have to identify it. They already are. Something already matters to them, mm. right? Um, almost certainly, unless they're just, you know, just asleep in this season or just drugged up, frankly, um, beyond the ability to recognize what they really want. Um, I think that there's a there's passion in there, and dads can uncover that. They can. They can ask good questions. Why does that make you so angry? Um, I'd, I love to get in... I'm just sort of wired around what's wrong with the situation, what makes you angry. So I always ask the what, what makes you angry question because I think it reveals a lot. But I you like could it, go but positive you... too. You could say, why do you light up every time this happens? What is it about that? And then, this is so important, the dad, this isn't my idea. I just heard this from John Eldridge. He said, he said the reason that not having a dad is so devastating is because you don't have somebody to help um, – to help interpret your reality. That's so good. So Break it down for me. So what do you mean? in other words, you're, you're on this. You've been leaning into having these really good conversations with your daughter, right? Yeah. Tell me all about school. Start at the beginning of the day and just work through. Like, tell me everything that you can possibly remember. You start to, you start to, um, to detect she lights up right here, right? 
you pull that out. You try to identify, help her identify why is that such an exciting reality to you? Why is that emotion important to you? What about that was so life-giving to you? And then you help her, um, you help her interpret that as the dad. Hmm, that's interesting. You don't say, oh, this is what that's about. But you say, I wonder if you feel like that here and here and here, three unrelated places, if that's because you actually, um, I'm just pulling something out of thin air. You actually really like playing a meaningful role in somebody else's project. You're a great helper or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. She is developmentally unable to interpret her life. All teenagers are, right? But the father can help interpret uh, interpret the situation so that then you can provide good guidance and help navigate the situation. I don't think dads culturally, let's mm-hmm. just say, understand how important their role is even just to have a conversation with their kid yeah. about their day. Like, And all of us can do that. It doesn't matter how much time I have mm-hmm. or how much money I have. Right. Now, I want to go back to this specific thing, you noticed that your wife had, you said something about pain around childbirth. Okay. So you said there was like, I'm just saying you, you noticed, she noticed that there was something that she was either, you, you've been saying, what are you angry about? Mm-hmm. What are you lit up about? Right. What brings you pain? Those kinds of things help to see what you're passionate about. Right. Right. So was this just always a known thing that no. there was something about? No. The- yeah. So we, so we lost our first son in the hospital at birth. We were alone in the room in a completely overbooked hospital with lousy resources. And we had a baby by ourselves in a room and he died. Now he was all, he had a heart condition. It wasn't their fault that he died, but it was a, it was way more traumatic than it needed to be. So I, in part was surprised. She even wanted to go back into that space. I would not want to go back into that space of birth and t- the tension of, of the, of the labor and all this. But stuff. I mean, you had three kids from that time, right? So right. that was your first that experience. The first, right. And then you went and you had three kids, right. which I'm sure the first time was first time was scary. intense and scary. The second time was r- really fast, like almost in the elevator at the hospital. Okay. And the third time was beautiful. We had him at home. And I think that was... I mean, that's a pretty rad healing if you think about that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's a great thing to point out. To, so, go, from, to go from that terrible hospital mm-hmm. to it wasn't under... There was not enough people here to help us mm-hmm. to, okay, let's get through this. <laughs> right. To, this was really fast. Now we're going to go home and do it by ourselves again? In a bathtub. Right. It was amazing. And we weren't by ourselves. We had, we had uh, okay. midwives there. Okay. Um, but you're right. So... So it then, was two years later, because it was pain, it was painful at one point. Mm-hmm. You're right. She goes through this process of her own healing, and then I think maybe that's part of what I was just so excited about. Was like, wow, you actually want to get back into the restoration of this specific brokenness? And I think that's that's the journey, that's the Christian journey for sure. Yeah, is it's what you, you talked about through and Create. Yeah, you go back. Like this is the Emmaus Road. You go back. You discover Christ. You be you are healed. You see things more clearly. And what previously caused so much pain, it's not that the pain was illegitimate or didn't happen, but the restoration journey sends you back to that place of pain now with a message of hope, hmm. right? And you have this credibility and this authority because guess what? You've been there. You've been there. You've yeah. been there. So she, you know, she, 
Um, it's amazing to watch. I think it's, you could argue that she's done more effective restorative work in her life than I have as a full-time pastor yeah. because she is in these intimate settings with people who remark, they find her women of color, immigrants with birth trauma. They find her and she's like them and she understands where she's been, where they've been. And she, she accompanies them through this remarkably personal, powerful, um, complicated, emotionally complicated uh, experience. So, I, and then brings healing and yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I want to go back to the lake. Okay. So you have this, did you already know that she cared about the childbirth stuff? Uh, I think I was aware that she, yeah. I mean, kind of like at the level of that she was interested women. in it. Yeah. But then what I'm trying to get at is where's that transition? Like, did she say, I want to go do this? I mean, I know you said it, it wasn't this like necessarily a moment. I guess what mm-hmm. I'm trying to dig up is who uncovered that there was a pain there, that there was a passion there mm-hmm. and that you both acknowledged it. We, we both, we both just knew there was a pain there. I think she identified an, an interest there. And my role was to say, well, let's do it. So was this at the lake? Yeah. You go talk to her and she's like, well, I have an interest in doing this. And you're like, wow, I didn't think that you would have an interest in going back to that. I don't think I articulated that at that point. I think inside I was a little bit, a little surprised, but she said that it was me saying you should go do it. Like you should, it was taking Ned, it was taking it from one of these ideas is this to tell me about that. And then me saying, you could totally go do that. She's like, oh, it's going to take money and years and more school. And like, let's do it. Let's do it. So, and that gave her the courage to do it. That's what she says. Yeah, man. Okay. Here's where I'm at right now. (laughs) This is just a conversation that we started. This isn't a book you wrote or I wrote about seasons of being in tune with your wife. Here's nine steps of have really how to do this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we're leaving this conversation. It's totally unfinished. It is. And, and, and it's almost like that is actual real life for us to sit here and tell everybody we've got it figured out is not real life. And everything that you've been talking about, like legacy and what your dad taught you and what Mm -hmm. you've shown your kids through the way you've loved your wife through seasons, all of us need to take this and go, we all have it in us to pay attention and to ask questions. And that's what this is saying. This is saying, this is not just about my life. This is about the next 10 generations Mm -hmm. of how I'm living my life, how I'm in tune with myself. Am I being selfish and about myself? Am I, how am I in tune with my wife? Mm -hmm. Am I paying attention to who she is and what she cares about? What makes her angry and happy Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and lights her up? Am I doing that with my kids? And then am I not drawing a circle around just that? I'm also doing that with the world around me. It's great summary, dude. It's so good because it's almost like, oh, just take a deep breath and start to live your life mm-hmm. unselfishly and serve and pay attention because it's not just get it figured out today. Because mm-hmm. if we walk away from this conversation going, okay, man, I really got to go talk to my wife. I'm going to see if she's available tonight at 630. And yeah. then she's going to tell me that she's passionate about this. And then we're going to get her in school next week. And then we're, she's going to be how I want. And I can keep doing what it is that I want to do next week. Exactly. <laughs> Right? That's Dude, not what this is about. On. Yeah. yeah oh, no, right. that's why it's so good because you go, this is our life. This will be a gimmick. This will sound gimmicky. If you go out to dinner tonight and you're like, hey, what's your next career? 
No, don't do that. That's where I am, though. I think that's mm. that's why I'm like kind of summarizing it with this, like, dude, chill out, okay, so bro. Here, do you know what she's thinking about? Do you know what she's worrying about? Do you know what she's praying about? Like, how well do you know what is going on inside her? How, I don't, often I don't know much. So I got to ask questions. Well, like when you asked it, I'm glad you, you made it more of a, it felt like it was directed at me. And then I hit this like, oh my gosh, I better have an answer <laughs> right now. Um, but after I panicked and you kept going and I realized oh, like, oh, you, it's were, you were talking generally, I thought, okay, there are some things that I know th- that are important to her right now. And yeah. I need to lean into those with her, mm-hmm. not, not to fix with it. an answer. Not with an answer. <laughs> Dude, that's I'm not very good at this. But that's what... That's what seems to matter when things go well is over time, you're able to reflect back, you know, the last four times we've gone out to dinner, you know, maybe it's taken a year to get four dates in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you keep bringing this up. I have noticed what's behind that, you know, trying to, trying to notice that. And I would say this also because this was a good story. This was a good story about her stepping into what she's now done for the last eight or nine years Mm -hmm. and loves. Yeah. But that's, there's maybe a few opportunities where that's the next season. Often seasons are um, changes into more limited capacities. Um, The loss of things, seasons of grieving, there's seasons of illness. These are not necessarily happy stories, but they are, I think they're just as important for guys to be engaged in, you know? So I think that's good because, you know, in our culture, we're always like kind of looking at what's the next best thing and mm -hmm. where am I growing to? But you could engage in a season where there's things that aren't so good. Yeah. Right. Maybe something happens that uncovers a wound or a memory and, and it's going to be a season of, it's going to be a two-year season of some therapy and some grieving and some processing. Maybe she's lost her parent mm. and that's going to bring up all kinds of stuff and it's going to affect all kinds of things. It's going to affect the kind of food she's making or not, the tone of the house, the level of intimacy that you're going to experience. It's going to affect all kinds of things and you need a man up. And you need to be a true companion through this next season. And the, um, or you can just check out and let her try to navigate the thing on her, on her own. Um, so the season thing, I think, is mostly really fascinating and compelling to be involved in changing of seasons. But I wanted to just kind of bring that. No, side I think that's it good. Too. It's like, because this isn't all just. And it's going to get better and better and better. I think that there there probably is a degree to which um, healthy relationships get better and better. But the by virtue of the fact that it's a season, is that indicates that there's going to be, like there's this liminal space between the way it was and the way it will be, and you're in the middle. And mm-hmm. in a sense, this is a rite of passage kind of experience. It's not the way it used to be. It can't be that way anymore for whatever reason. There's right. a thousand of them. It's... You're hoping it gets to another place, but right now you're in that in-between. And I think that's where we need guidance from others. We need to pay attention like we never paid attention before. And we need to intentionally move forward. 
That's another word I had for like, what do I want to create? I mean, if people would think theologically about their lives, if another way to put that is if you would think intentionally more carefully about why you're doing what you're doing, Mm. um, be more purposeful with every part of your life versus just following the cultural expectation. You should rebel against that. Every, everything you should check it, go, yeah, everybody does it this way. Why do they do it that way? And, and is there a better way for me to do it? Right. So how have you, <clears throat> let's end with like a practical, how have you been able to be in tune with where you are? Um, how do you pause good. as a man? Yeah. And reflect. Okay. Well, man. So I'm 20 years into a relationship with a spiritual director. So that means I am being honest with another man who's older than me and sharing my life struggles with him on the regular. And I'm 20 years into that. That has, that has been like a mirror of reality reflected back to me for 20 years now. I'm pretty impressed with myself a lot of the time. And this has been a humbling and a sobering component to my life. Like actually look at you, look at you, man, you know, I, I engage in spiritual practices. I read the Bible and the Bible reads me, right? I realize, restate your question. How as a man do you pause? Yeah. How do I pause? But before that you said like, how do you reflect and be in tune? Right. How do you be in tune? So taking time to, um, it's the spiritual practices like regular worship and prayer and reading and accountability so I mean, you don't, I'm so not trying to throw hope. this all in the, like, into like a Christian spirituality context, okay. but it's I am reality. And it's more than that. <laughs> it's reality. Okay. If you're going to talk about knowing yourself, you are a fool if you don't bring God into that mm-hmm. equation. And you're a fool if you don't bring somebody else who loves you into that equation. You can't figure this out by yourself. So are you just, you were created. Let me ask this. Do you, um, do you hope that you have time to kind of do some reflecting next week and the week after that? Do you hope that you'll have that time? No, I schedule that time. That's the, that's right. what I want to hear. Okay. That was a softball. We, I saw that. <laughs> I saw it coming. I was like, is it, you know, <laughs> exactly. Maybe. Like if you want, if you, if you are listening and you're like, dude, okay, man, I want to, I want to be the dude. I want to mm-hmm. rebel and create. I want to be the husband. I want to be the father. Mm-hmm. I want to be the dude. Cause you and I are just two dudes, right? Right. But you go, okay, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to go find a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, allow myself, you know, to be open, build trust, right? You, it's right. 20 years. So right. um, I'm going to, I'm going to put some practices into place, whether right. that's journaling or, or right. whatever, but Sitting you got to go do it. Right. Yeah. Sitting still, listening, uh, taking, so, taking a, like an inventory of what you've got right in front of you in your house this reality that you're breathing right now. Yeah, man. So when I stopped being a youth pastor in two, I don't know, 2014 or so, I kind of had this thing where I noticed that a pastor or a CEO both went on annual retreats Hmm. to go, where is this church going? Or where is this business going? Well, you might not be at that church forever and you might not be at that business forever, Mm -hmm. 
And I had this thought, like, why am I not doing that as a dad? I know. I know. That's what I admire so much about you. And so then once a year, I go and I go, okay, where's my family? Where are we headed? What are we doing? What's important? I ask my, I have these questions and I have a folder of them that I've put in front of my family where I make them fill this thing out. Like, what do you care about? What are you doing? So good. And I go, Every one of us dads can do that. Like I could, I could work anywhere. I could do anything. I don't have to be defined by that. You're right. You know, I'm going to go build into this family and I'm going to go pause and reflect. Like we all could do that. Right. Right. Take a weekend. And, and honestly, like I feel bad when I leave for the weekend, I go for two days, but I go, this matters that much. I think it does that. So there's the big annual thing. And then I would say you should build in, um, or you could build in regular daily practices. I have a friend whose wife says, don't come in the house unless you're ready to come in the house. Hmm. And um, what she means by that, I just heard like a chime in my ears. Is that something that I need to? No. Okay. Um, What she means by don't come in the house until you're ready to come in the house is she's, she's trying to help him recognize that he needs to be prepared to be present in the home. Um, and so what he's done with that is there's a certain part of his drive where he turns the radio off, right? You know, with, I don't know. It's like 20 seconds before he hits the driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a daily practice. Sounds almost gimmicky. But no, the, it the doesn't. Real, the reality is you do that for a week. You do that for a month. You do that for seven years in a row. And you're coming in. You're changed. It's basically you are transformed. Yeah, we act like I think we want to act like um, rhythm doesn't matter mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. But like, look at our life. You have rhythm in your life. It's just you've most likely just let the rhythm happen to you. Yeah, you know. But there's seven days. There's months. Right. There's years. And and we have these rhythms of things we do. Most things we are not paying attention to. So if you can right. intentionally add. Right. 20 seconds to your drive right. or five minutes before here there's it's possible right don't tell me you don't have time to do those things now you might not be able to go away for a weekend right. you might not right but you could take a sick day and you can and you could go sit in your car or mm-hmm. sit by some something and spend a day reflecting right like it's possible yeah to do. recognize how much our culture um points to the event as the solution because you can't sell the rhythm you can't sell it you can't I could say, so you know what? I can teach you how to do this. And there'd be some value in, a, in an event, right? For sure. But we, we are so wired towards uh, growth in the form of event and not growth in the form of rhythm. Yeah, and, and repetition. That, and repetition. It's not sexy. Mm. It's, it's like, it's monotonous. It's work. It's, it's monasticism, right? It's like this, it's work. It's consistency. But you can... But that's what matters, right? Totally. And no one, relatively no one is talking about it today in North America. It's, it's everywhere in ancient Christian spirituality. It's all about the rhythm. There are almost no events. There's like feasts and holidays. But other than that, it's just rhythm. And that's accessible. The reason I'm bringing that up is that's very accessible. You can oh, the do event's that. almost harder. Oh, the event's way harder. And it costs money and you postpone it and you put it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it you, frankly isn't as... The reason that retreat that you do has been so effective is because you've turned that event into a rhythm. You've done it every year for right. something like nine years or something. Yeah. yeah. So 
Um, yeah, the reason I'm leaning into this, and I know we need to wrap it, is uh, because I want to I want to encourage guys towards stuff that's totally doable, right? Set up triggers, um, alarms on your phone. You can set up your phone to give you an alarm at a certain point on a road every day, right? So on your way home, bing, get focused, right? Time to time to be present at home now. I've had that. I've had an alarm when I'm in a busy season of work where I had an alarm and I had the alarm set up with a ACDC song mm-hmm. that just gets me like, oh, life is good. Like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going home. It doesn't matter all that stuff that happened at work. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm going to go enjoy. And it was a reminder to me to go, why am I doing all the things I did today? Oh, that's good. And and I mean, it's stupid, right? It's like a, a song uh, that got me excited and I went home and it happened it usually would end on my like two mile road home. It would come mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah, dude, I love this. Nathan, you are super intentional and a great husband and a great father, a great friend. Um, thank you for sharing. I, I think we could probably just talk for like five more hours, but I think that what I said before is like, I almost like that. Mm-hmm. I almost like yeah. that. Hopefully we're just starting a conversation in a dude's head. Go have this conversation with somebody else. Go have it with your kids. Go have it with your wife. Just make this this journey that you're deciding to go on. Like, if mm-hmm. anything from this conversation, just decide to be intentional mm-hmm. with the one life that you have. Yeah. And at the same time, don't put a bunch of pressure on yourself. Start small. Be intentional with dinner on Mondays. I mean, just start small. Yeah. Be intentional with the way you're putting your kids to sleep. Don't just wave and say, have a good night. Don't do that. Right? If they're little and they're in your house, they're about to leave. In like three days, they're going to be at the other side of the country <laughs> and you're going to wish you had taken advantage of And those, Nathan's saying that right? because his daughter's moved out. That's right. And there's her picture when she was three and oh there's her picture gosh. when she's 19 and it happened in like six minutes. Yeah. I love that you small. have those. Why do you have those two pictures next to each other? So we're sitting at She's desk. looking at me. She's looking at me in both of those. I, I needed to just, I put, I, this has been here forever. The little girl picture has been there forever. And, but it's been over there on my shelf with my mentors and my dad and my sons. And I put it right in square one right here on my desk because like six months before she went to college. Dude, you do that to yourself. Oh, I know. I get teary every time because she's just staring right into my soul in this little cute little baby picture. But I didn't want to miss that. I didn't want to miss, oh, dude, if I have regrets, it's that I wish I would have just spent more time with my kids, right? Very focused on starting stuff and other people. And I spent some good time with my kids, but I would have liked, I should have spent more. I should have praised her more. I should have had better conversations with her, intentional conversations, right? I should have admired her art more. And so I put this here, you lose air. Uh, I put this here because I was like, that little baby's going to college in like six weeks. So I put it right here. And I'm just trying to like, be present to that painful reality, right? So that I will be more intentional about what I've got, hmm. I guess. I don't know. I just felt like it needed to be looking at me. So, um, Dude, thank you so much. This has been so good. And I uh, hope it was helpful, man. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to stop. Thank you. Thanks, man. Proud of you. Good oh. job. I told you you weren't going to want that conversation to end. It was so good. I just want to listen to it again. Just even that ending part 
where he talks about the pictures. As, as we sat there and I watched him talk about the picture of the three-year-old and the 19-year-old, his daughter at two different ages sitting on his desk, staring back at him, the reality that that happened. And for us who have kids who are still young, hey, what a great piece of advice for us to go, that is gonna happen. The days are long, the years are short, it may not feel like it's gonna happen, but it's coming. And the only thing that he looked back on and said is, a little bit more time, a few more hugs, a few more looking at uh, her art, a few more, hey, you are incredible, a few more praises, those little things, those little things. This conversation was full of amazing, amazing information. Dads, if we can apply some of this to our daily lives. Don't do it all. Just do the things that work for you. But the world, our families, you and me's souls will be filled up. It'll look and feel different. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please share it with another dad. It's critical. These conversations matter. We need to get more dads excited and engaged in fatherhood. So please share this. Please go write a review on iTunes. Um, rate it on iTunes, go over to Facebook, go over to Instagram, follow us, follow the links to the Kickstarter campaign for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal. This journal is incredible. It's been funded, but I want to get more journals in the hands of dudes. You're going to be able to buy it after December 4th. But if you want to be part of the Kickstarter campaign, please go over. uh, The links are on Instagram, Facebook, or just go to Kickstarter, search Rebel and Create Fatherhood Legacy Journal. You can get uh, there's six different packages with a you know a gift if you want to give it away if you want to get it with a mug and a flask and a compass and my book a couple other goodies go over to Kickstarter order one please do that help support this cause of fatherhood and uh, last thing Pastor Nathan if you enjoyed hearing this conversation he has written three books uh, two of which I've read one is Kingdom Come killer so good it's on amazon and another is waymarking i'm not sure where you can get it but i'll try to put up a link on instagram um, of where you can find that but that is actually on rites of passages which with your children especially from the age of like 11 12 13 14 really really good i want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to rebel and creates fatherhood field notes podcast what you do really truly matters Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, your spouse, and your community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's continue to rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. 